Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I am Paul Edwards and we have all of our usual folks here. Uh, here uh, last, and the last shall be first, is Mr. Brian Charlson. Hey, Brian. Hey, everyone. Glad to have you on board this evening. Sounds like a bit of a bit of a cantankerous list of subjects for us this evening, but I'm looking forward to it. I think it could be. And we have our streamer, Mr. Gassman. How are you, sir? I am very fine. How are you? I am well, thank you. Good. And we have the 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 head producer now in his own space. Um, Mr. Rick, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Paul. How about you? I am doing very well, thank you. And, of course, we have the beautiful Marianne, who is being kidnapped from um, Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Hello, Paul. It's great to be here with you. Yes. Thank you. And, and it's an indication of how old I am that I know who Gilligan Island is. And oh, me too. Marianne, who is the other one? Ginger. Um, Ginger. Ginger. Ginger, that's right. Ginger. Yeah. Yeah. The, the last of the cast of that show passed away this past couple of weeks. Oh, oh dear. I don't remember which one it was, but the last of the cast. <sighs> I don't know. The last the of the cast I'd have to look it up. No. I, Did I, they ever I, get saved? I heard it on the internet. It has to be true. <laughs> yes, they got saved mm-hmm. in the remakes in the 80s. Okay. And well, then they I went back. Yeah. I, okay. I can't remember no, who it interesting. is. Interesting. I'll have to look it up. So this evening we are we are doing I think something that's kind of interesting because we are taking some discussions that we have kind of run at the border of over the last several weeks and um and facing them head on that is we are we are beginning to look at what we can do as people first and then as blind people second uh, to protect ourselves from misinformation and it may be that there's nothing we can do um what what sparked this was uh, an awful lot of discussion that's been going on over the past um, several weeks since we started dealing with um, bots in a in a very real way about the degree to which uh, these bots do what the individuals within the system are calling hallucinate. Um, and these hallucinations involve flat out saying things in a very convincing and meaningful and real way that are flat out not true, that are clearly and unequivocally lies, that are based on facts that don't exist, that are uh, that are nothing but uh, thin air in terms of reality. And if we are going to the internet and expecting it to provide us with information, it is scary to know that what will probably soon become the, the, the very center of the internet, that is the, the, 
places like information searches will no longer necessarily give us information. And it could be that that's a pretty scary thing. What do you think, Brian? Well, I have mixed feelings about it, as I do about almost everything these days. In the hands of people who want to cause you to believe one thing rather than another, that's scary. Because as you said, it's very persuasive. It's said with such absolute conviction that, you know, I always think of phrases like buyer beware. Uh-huh. Caveat emptor. And, and we, we have to do that with any information we get from any uh, location. Trust, but verify. And, uh, well, but, I actually, but, but how do we do ahead. it? How do we do it? The answer is we need to set up a set of laws, both domestic and international, international law treaties, that say mm-hmm. what can and cannot be done mm-hmm. with uh, artificial intelligence. And not just say, don't do that, but build an infrastructure to police that. Right now, very few entities have the hardware necessary to make an AI that's like ChatGPT. Yeah. Very few entities do. Uh, Google is one. They have, uh, I think it's three different, if you will, what we used to call web farms. Just CPU after CPU after CPU with the most memory and the most, uh, the fastest processing speed in order to pull this kind of thing off. You need access to that kind of hardware. It's one thing to be able to do something. There's another thing to be able to do that thing uh, in a way that's economic, economical in some fashion. Uh, but that doesn't deal with this concept, as you mentioned, of, uh, what would you call it? Nah, I, was, I was about to say delusion, but that's not the word you use. Hallucination is the, is the word that, that yeah, folks inside are using it, are right. using for it. Hallucination. Which is, which is a surprising word, um, and, and I'm not sure I love it, but that's what they're calling it. They're, they're not calling it misspoke. They're calling it hallucination. Um, well, I, I would think that if somebody said misspoke, I would say that uh, that's less alarming than hallucination. Oh, oh absolutely. So I'm, no glad, I'm glad they're using that kind of a scary term. I also uh, I, I, I'm not um, sure I'm not sure that I that, that, that I quite see how how you write laws so so it, anytime there is an iteration of falsehood somebody gets fined no anytime any entity utilizing the internet which remember belongs to nobody and everybody Anybody who misuses the internet 
to create and or distribute a artificial intelligence platform slash tool would have to be licensed to do so or would be subject to uh, immediate erasure. How, <clears throat> how do you know they're using artificial intelligence? There has been as fast a development of artificial intelligence um, what do you call it? Kind of like a metal detector, an artificial intelligence detector uh, piece of software. And like everything else, you know, uh, it, well, it's like protecting your computer from a virus, right? No sooner do you come up with a way to protect yourself from the virus than the virus people have figured a way to get around that. And just as, artificial, just as artificial intelligence detectors are getting better, artificial intelligence will get better at avoiding detection. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that has been the case already with this particular industry. Oh, no question. The, so, uh, other, the other part but, of it, though, Paul, is with so few entities having sufficient hardware to pull it off, that should make it easier to monitor them in that activity. This is not something you can do in your garage. It simply is not. Right. So, so let, me, let me broaden the story for just a moment because I want to talk about the other reason that, uh, that I decided this was a topic that we, that we needed to discuss. There has been uh, a rise of 2,000% over the last two weeks in bad actors on the internet from China and Russia who have been attempting to influence uh, attitudes in the United States of America uh, since uh, President Trump was uh, indicted two weeks ago. Um, both China and Russia certainly could create sufficient computing power if they chose um, to operate uh, entities, and they've already demonstrated very clearly, at least since 2013, that they're perfectly prepared to utilize computers however they can in order to disrupt the orderly operations of things in the United States, we are getting to the point where there is not even very much news coverage for the fact that, uh, for instance, last summer, uh, some 50 companies and 30 agencies uh, were um, cyber-attacked by bad actors from Russia and China. And many of these bad actors uh, were attacked because of the work that they were doing to support the Ukrainian effort. So I, I make all those points to suggest that we cannot even operate on the assumption that the only player in this game 
that is creating disinformation uh, is a machine because there are people out there whose sole purpose in life mm-hmm. is to create information um, that that is intended specifically to disrupt what we do in this country. And, and the question is, when we begin to put all of these things together, it almost begins to seem that it, it is at least possible to suggest that that the place where we live, the internet, is a very unsafe place to be, <clears throat> and truth may be something that is virtually impossible to find there. Well, <clears throat> one way that this is being dealt with, if you will, is redundancy. Make it so that there, that at any given moment, we could roll back the internet to mm-hmm. a prior time. And by doing that, we can get rid of whatever's their uh, negative nature. We would so this- be rolling back both good information, accurate information, and inaccurate information. So you're talking about the same way that we treat some software problems on our computers, where we yeah, simply absolutely. go back to an earlier build. Um, can, I, I don't know. Can we do that with the internet? Yes. The internet as a whole has several uh, archives around the planet of everything that's been on the internet up to this moment. Yep. With this kind of, well, like when you write a Word document and you can look at previous iterations of that Word document. Yep. Right? It, Not just it, the one if you saved last. If, if you saved them. Yes. And I'm saying this is the current practice around the world. There are at least a dozen such repositories around the world, not all in the United States, not all in Western Europe, not all, whatever, they're duplicates of it but, out there. But would it not be accurate to say, Brian, that that if, if some of us were to determine that that's what we need to do, it, it's going to be very unlikely that all the people who have controls over advanced components of the internet, including the dark web, in, including those elements controlled by China and Russia, um, could very well say, we're not playing and we're not going back. As I said at the beginning, laws and treaties. Yeah. If the United Nations passed a resolution with a set of do's and don'ts and uh, what would happen if, for lack of better terms, punishments, well, that, that that's about the only way that you can deal with it. China have, and Russia are, are members of the Security Council and neither of them would do that. Absolutely true. I'm not sure we they would. would. I'm not sure well, we would either. I, I would say that 
Sadly. Any kind, the, the internet started out as a way for uh, the military mm-hmm. to be able to transfer data from one point to the other without literally what they call sneakerware. Pick it up, take it over there, give yep. it to them. Yep. And then it went to, well, so many colleges and universities are involved in doing uh, contract work for the military that we need to include them into it. And then <laughs> other entities started saying, pick me, pick me. Does that sound familiar? Uh, it does. So- <laughs> please let, you know, why are you denying commercial America since uh, the resources to pull this all off are government sponsored and I pay taxes? I should have the ability to X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. So, I, so I'm not saying, I am not by any means saying one should not be concerned about these things. You absolutely should. And in fact, an entity really ought to say, <clears throat> like a physician, uh, a pledge of, I shall do no harm, mm-hmm. even if it restricts my ability to create so let us incorporate create anything let us incorporate another piece into the puzzle last monday or no last friday with huge fanfare uh, the fbi pulled up to a little town in connecticut and arrested a guy wearing t-shirts and shorts with all kinds of guns Took him off to jail. He was a low-level operator um, in in a relatively minor branch of the military who, over the past four weeks, had probably managed to do as much harm uh, without probably really meaning to and without even suggesting that he wasn't a pretty patriotic American gentleman. By the information that he shared uh, with a with with a bunch of kids his age and younger, uh, who were playing video games and talking about guns on a relatively private um, public um, uh, program, mm-hmm. internet site. the The point that I'm making yeah. is is that he he. At least as I perceive him, and, and God knows I could be wrong, he's, he is not a guy who at least is coming across as being bad people from a bad family who is out to commit mercenary acts for the sake of making piles of money and on and on and on and on. <clears throat> and, and yet here we have um, someone who doesn't ever need to see the information that he has released, but has access to it because he looks after getting it from point A to point B. Um, and so it's, it's, it's another component. We have chosen as a world to, to, to recognize that the internet is immensely valuable for transferring information quickly and supposedly securely from one place to another, we've developed encryption approaches 
and a whole range of other protections that are supposed to make the transmission of that information secure and safe and inviolable. But the reality is it is none of those things because of the people at a very low level who can get at that information and share it in, in places it was never intended to go, potentially doing immense harm to our ability to effectively um, police the world and conduct our foreign policy. No question. So, so it's a, it, it is another whole component of a, a, an, an internet that, to, to take an old historical term, is beginning to look like the sick man of the world. So I take a look at things as usual between you and I a little differently. And that is who did wrong in that, in that activity? A human being, not a computer. Yeah. A human being. Did sure. wrong. He knew he was doing wrong. He didn't yeah, I do believe it that. by accident. Uh, he I believe did that. it intentionally. I believe His that. motivations for doing so may be a little bit a juvenile. Yeah. But nonetheless, nonetheless, I, he did it and it created harm beyond his comprehension. Correct. It's not his intent. To bring down the Ukraine yeah. or to uh, put agents who are in Israel and South Korea or, at greater or risk because... A bunch of Ukrainian civilians killed to, to, to take yeah, just all, all of those things. Yeah, all of sure. those things. I agree. So, with an unintended... Oh, hold on. So, um, uh, Marianne, Rick, do you, do you guys, you guys want to jump in here? Any thoughts? I'm back. Uh, the yeah. only thing that come, crosses my mind, Paul, is that um, you know when we talk about creating laws, we can't even get um, the the our Congress to jump on board with you know the best common sense gun laws, and I think getting them to come on board with restricting and and regulating um, AI is is um, going to be a real a challenge. If and and the only time I see it actually happening is if it's if it, AI is used to damage one of them in some profound way, which and then too, yeah, sadly that's how which, I, I see. Which probably it. could happen, Mister Rick. Any thoughts? Mr. Larry? No, oh, well, sorry, my phone is my my phone is doing some stupid stuff. Sorry, uh, I, I this is just a weird, you know. It's I hadn't even I thought about this, but it's a little overwhelming in terms of you know what do you do? Uh, it is. I I don't really have all the answers, but I do know that. That it's something that it's not going to go away. with something that we will experience and continue to experience, and and there are levels upon levels that we have to kind of decipher and figure out. But but I agree with uh, Brian 
when he says, in essence, it, it, the, the intention is, especially from the the little the, the person who was arrested, he may not have done it on purpose, but he knew what he was doing. And when you do things like that, there are always consequences. I I, I think I think he, he knew the acts that he was committing. I have. I absolutely don't believe he had any notion of what the consequences were. Probably like. not. Who's to blame for that? How, who trained him? Yeah. You know, yeah. who, who put well, his that, training together? Yeah. And, and, I, I think, and I think yeah. all authorities agree that what this showed us and that we should learn is our standard everyday security stinks. He yeah. yes. was able to print this document out and walk out of the office with it. How should that be even possible? Or top secret documents do you think, that, that are kind of your eyes only. Do you, do you think yep. that it, it boils down as so many times it does to core, value, core values? Yes. You, you wouldn't, if you had core values that were really instilled in you, this most likely would not have happened. So, going to add another piece to the puzzle. Three weeks ago, a group of individuals, um, many of them um, pretty important in the field of artificial intelligence, um, involving as well folks like Elon Musk uh, and other people who are certainly at the heart of the entrepreneurial system, published a letter that's been pretty widely printed that essentially asked everybody to create a moratorium of six months uh, before opening up any of this AI stuff to give people an opportunity um, to take a good hard look at, um, at, at what the consequences of the uh, artificial intelligence system could be and to explore together what kind of safeguards needed to be in place uh, be before it was released to the world. Um, do people have thoughts about that letter and the folks who wrote it and and the allegations essentially that are raised by that letter with regard to artificial intelligence? Do I start? You may. <laughs> so one is um, we have in this country at least four major players. And each one of them wants to get a leg up on the other three. It's natural competition. Natural uh -huh. competition. So, who was the most um, strongest about doing this kind of moratorium slash uh, hold back? The person who is furthest behind. The person uh, who is uh, behind uh, right. Amazon. So they are, it, it, part of what we see in these kinds of things is competitive advantage, uh, as it is with any product whatsoever. Uh, Certainly in, so in the capitalist Under those system. circumstances, sure. Well, <laughs> I would challenge other systems as well. But for, for our, all intents and purposes, we are in a capitalist society. We are a variation thereof. And competition is 
part of a driving force. I want to make more money than you. Not that I can spell that, uh, spend that next $10 billion, but I want to be better than you. Have more than you. Do more than you kind of thing. So that letter smacked up to me of that kind of gamesmanship. Not but that it's it, an invalid concern, not right. at all. But those who sign on are not by themselves lily white in the process. So I think there's a couple of things that should and, in fact, I believe are being done. There's a point in the development of any product where you go from R&D to uh, sales. Rollout, yep. To sales. There's a point where every business does that kind of thing. Everyone that turns a product into a truly sustainable business. So out comes one guy from, everybody knew everybody else was working on it. But one guy, one player, put it out first. So another player felt the need to put theirs out so that they will not lose investor trust in where their company is taking this. And these companies are at a point now in the development because we know about things like hallucination as a component of this. We know as a public that you cannot trust uh, without cross-referencing what these things tell us. Uh, so we need to be careful in the process of incorporating those with not engineering background, not can it be done, but rather with ethics and, for that matter, theology and uh, those kinds of skill sets to the whole question of where are we going, when are we going. But it is okay. out of the box. Pandora is out there. The trouble is not keeping it from expanding and becoming evil in the process of things. It's much more. Um, now that it's out, how do we harness it? We did it with nuclear energy. Here's, Was it fully successful? No. Here's another piece of the puzzle. I, I love adding <laughs> pieces to the puzzle, Brian. Mm -hmm. This afternoon at about 4 o'clock, um, I looked at a podcast that had just come down of a program that is produced uh, in England by the BBC called In Touch. And the In Touch program is a program that is specifically intended uh, for or to highlight and discuss issues of interest and concern to people who are blind and or visually impaired. I, by the way, recommend that people just for the sake of interest um, download that program it's only 15 minutes it won't take you any time to listen to it but <clears throat> there was a component on the program today that was fascinating and marianne you may find this uh, this intriguing it has to do believe it or not with makeup estee lauder has now released an app 
which uses a camera and actually enables uh, people who are blind, who have had no experience applying makeup, to utilize a uh, an AI entity to help them to do makeup so that it looks nice. So I heard the AI today say, um, you have, uh, you've put too much lipstick uh, on the right side of your lips. So the only way you can really fix that is to wipe the, uh, all of the lipstick off from around your, uh, your lips. Do you, do you want to fix that now? Now, mm-hmm. presumably, Miss Marianne, uh, that, would, that would be a pretty amazing app to have access to for people who are trying to learn makeup and wanted to be pretty certain when there's no way that you can tell if you can't see, who want to be certain that, they're, that, they're, that, they're, uh, that their makeup looked pretty decent. Yeah? Yes, absolutely. That would be an amazing app. Yeah. But what about the subject? uses for AI. Yeah. And, and, but, but I wanted to put an example out there that specifically focused on a need that people who are blind have that for the most part could not have been even considered being met two years ago. How about colors? Color identifiers on, on, in apps are heretofore stinky. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, certainly it was a, there, there was a, a general assumption that in the past that color identifiers weren't very good. <clears throat> so but more recently, yeah. But more recently, they, they have become almost add ons to programs that people don't care much about, but that are apparently very good now. <laughs> yeah, I haven't found one yet, but yeah, there definitely are uses for people with vision loss. That would be amazing. So what yeah. about the subjectivity yeah. of sure. of the comment that was made by AI that said you have too much lipstick? Um, is is that a viable concept or even dis- discuss? I mean, who's to say I, whether it's too much or too little? I, I think I think it is. Um, Marianne, you're 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 much more of an expert than we are. Is is that a viable comment? Is um, seeing A's? Did you say is seeing AI's color identifier viable? No. No, no, no. no, no. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm going sorry. back to lipstick. I'm asking, we're talking about the lipsticks. We're talking about is is it is it an appropriate comment to make that you have too much lipstick on on your lips? Is that something that an AI would, could make, or is it subjective? Um, I would hope that they could. I, I don't particularly, I wear lip gloss, but I would hope that they could. Um, I, I don't think it's subjective. I think that it could, you know, it, it could take a middle and 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 be able to say you you don't have enough on or the color is not strong. Well, you know, something like that, that indicates that there's not enough happening. Right. And, and then the flip side of it is it's very, um, what they could use words like it's very pale or it's very heavy, right? You don't have to say it's too much or too little. You could use right. different words. Right. Now, yes, as, absolutely. as the person from Estee Lauder said, they're right at the beginning of this process. Um, and and they, they, they think it's got much more sophistication yet to come. 
And one of the things that they're really concerned about is the way it works now. Um, if there's a problem, you've almost got to go back to the beginning. And so they want to build in some ways that you can skip steps if you choose. Um, but uh, I, I guess what what I'm amazed at is until I heard about it today, it wasn't one of the it wasn't one of the things that I had on my list of wouldn't that be cool? But but I think it it may be something that could make a huge difference to how blind people going out in the world would feel about themselves. Because I think, and, and Marion, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. I think there are an awful lot of blind people who go out in this world hoping their makeup's okay, but not being sure. Oh, um, absolutely. I mean, I do the very best I can. I assume I, I use mascara, which is no easy feat, and I don't use it every day. But if I'm going someplace special, like tomorrow I'm going to the theater, and yeah. I will try to put mascara on, but I assume that I ding, and I just do what I know um, removes it, and I just do it thinking I did, and I go around my whole entire eye. But just to go out being confident that it it all looks perfectly fine would be an amazing thing for for women. Yeah, yeah. So fascinating. So I think, um, ladies and gentlemen, that we've put the general case on the table for folks. Um, should we open it up and see if folks would like to make some comments at this point? We have I, a hand raise, actually. Uh, the, the other thing that, that we're going to do soon, and I hope people are looking forward to this, is we're going to apply the same issues to blindness stuff that, that we've been talking about earlier. And I think that's going to be intriguing when we get to it. But we do have a hand, and I suspect that it we is, should recognize it. It is Jane. Delano, you may. I am very glad to be here. Thank you. I think glad you are too. Me, thank you. Um, The whole issue of makeup, (laughs) the argument gets to be bigger. How about you guys? Don't you want to look hot? Now I have a brother that (laughs) lived his whole professional life in fashion, and I'll tell you what: I am just utterly impressed with what guys do. To fix themselves up, so Estee Lauder better remember that. So oh, I see. think I think there are some guys who would use makeup. I am not one of them, and I and I me, and I me. think well, I, yeah, I, I think that that none of the guys who are on this call are makeup users, but right. that, that doesn't. Yeah, but but I don't a, know that. Uh, so that's right, you don't. So don't they assume can, they can, Yeah, they can. They they can tell me if I'm I wrong, do but not. I don't think any. I do but not. When I raise have, their hands. That's right. Well, all makeup using men, please raise your hands. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wave their lipsticks or their whatever. Yeah. And leave your video on so we can tell that you've raised your hand. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So what I really um, am thinking a lot about um, is uh, on 60 Minutes last night, that whole session on what is happening with um, developing artificial intelligence and creating it and misusing it and trying to make room for it. Um, We have to be, there have to be core values, but that lets everybody blame somebody else if they didn't get a load of the right core values, I think. But we have to make, as a country, we have to make better rules and absolutely stand by them and 
I don't think a lot of us trust the rules that are here. Um, I think about um, the way uh, this country treated Native Americans and treaties can be awfully suspect entities, I think. And I think about this whole business in along the border, how totally messed up that is. There aren't good practices. They, people aren't being helped well. They aren't being held to standards. I, you know, so I think if we can't do some of this, then we better wait a little while before we really start trying to best artif uh, to to boss um, artificial intelligence stuff. But so. What's your recommendation, Miss Jane? Well, every single person that uses the internet needs to know exactly what they're using it for and why, and then to not use it irresponsibly. Uh, well, I, and foolishly, I, I, but that's think, a core value. <laughs> I, I think you're. I think you're expecting something that that our species hasn't managed in the past and isn't likely oh, to manage know. now. You know, my son just said to me the other day, where do you get off thinking the world is going to behave? <laughs> they were there talking you about that. You know, and but that's what I wish. But that's what you know, I look at it. I, I don't use some platforms on the internet. I don't think they're safe. I don't think they're smart. Um and yet I ask my grandkids, so what is it like when you get off TikTok? You know, what do you do there? What do you see? What do you hear? I want to know. But anyway, I, I think I don't have a suggestion yet. Yep. I just have deep, deep concern. Yep. Thank you for your call. You've been. Very much appreciated. Yep. Paul, I want to yep. insert something here, if I may. And that I is insert. an important part as you as you think about all of this, is there are two kinds of artificial intelligence. There's artificial intelligence that does very well at a particular task. It's designed mm -hmm. with that in mind, like dealing with your makeup. Uh, clearly, you do not need that AI to know all about how to mix a drink. You just need it to be really good at colors, uh, theories associated with colors, uh, and a vast uh, training in pictures of and analyzing pictures, right? Yeah, all those kinds of things, but, but very but, specific to the task. Right. The other type is artificial general intelligence. Mm. When Some, we go sometimes that called direction. sometimes called generative AI. Yes. And Go ahead, sir. In that case, in that case, that's where the really strange things are happening. Uh, the hallucinations, which are me, sure that we though were talking about. Yeah, um, though in fact, primarily from that. Though in fact, I would right. argue that your makeup uh, component has to be generative AI as well. Because it it is it is making qualitative judgments 
about what what expectations are that aren't that aren't measured i think just in terms of colors but are measured as well in terms of overall effect and and also the degree to which individual faces change the way that makeup has to operate for them so the this concept of generative ai says basically here's your initial training we have shown you all we have on the subject of makeup yeah now we want to create a system wherein you can look at an individual's face that individual and make certain decisions on what that person needs to know to properly apply makeup and to properly apply the right makeup right and they did not they that is the ai did not say oh i think that this it's not inventing in that process it learns from experience if you say uh no that's a bad idea it will say okay that's a bad idea then how about this other approach toward achieving this goal that is not generative ai generative ai is more like you saw uh on the 60 minutes with the robots playing football uh, soccer they were playing soccer and there they learned from doing they didn't learn because somebody told them about that particular thing all they were told was the the goal of this game is to score and they learned from uh, tens of thousands of reiterations of trial and error which worked which didn't work forget the ones that didn't work uh can we combine this with that and come up with another way to do it and they're now at a point that they've come well take the other one which was chess this is what i was most impressed of by the way in that that an ai designed to do chess and only do chess could lose every time in the morning win almost every time in the afternoon and in invent chess moves that they aren't on the record at all they were total invention that that nobody's ever used before nobody has ever used before that is generative ai what scares me the most about all of this is the scientists who are doing it don't understand why that happened the scientists don't understand how um a ai that was taught a number of languages was asked questions in a language it didn't know and within a matter of hours it mastered that additional language yep that and they don't know how it wasn't supposed to happen get that happened so that's the scary part my friend it is scary 
I think we have another hand. You do, um, Larry Johnson. Hey, Larry. You may unmute, Larry. Yeah, see, an another Texan. It's two Texans in a row. Whoop. <laughs> I would like to know if this is really Larry, Larry Johnson. you may unmute. Or uh, it AI is. I think it's really Larry Johnson, but I won't believe it until he says something very Larry Johnson. <laughs> it is. It is me. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think AI is a fascinating topic, but I really want to go back to the core topic that you described in your um in your promotional announcement uh truth because i yes. think human intelligence is really what we have to be most afraid of uh what is amen what is opinion <laughs> what is deliberate misleading information what is propaganda and yeah. And when is it an out old faced lie? And this this has to do with not just the political arena, but organizations as well. Yeah. The messaging that they send out to the general public or to their membership, whether it's AARP or ACB or uh the NFB or whoever yeah. it may yeah. be. They have they have a purpose. They have a motivation for you to consume the information in the way that will benefit the organization or that polit political entity. You know, and, and and I'm assuming you're including political parties here, Mr. Johnson, sir. Absolutely, and and yes. of course you haven't you haven't alluded to it yet this evening, but of course there was the huge court settlement today with the. Case yeah. of Dominion against Fox News, and and so media particularly has a role. I remember, you know, a few years back when news was news. It was yeah. not. It was not editorial positioning, which is what most news media are today. And and so the question that I raise is, how do we know what is the truth? And where do we turn to find the truth? And your answer is? <laughs> I don't have the answer. <laughs> That's the question I want you to ask. <laughs> uh, I, I, think, uh, I think we can. Um, and, and, and I have some answers. I suspect Brian does, too. Yeah, I'm going to let you take the lead. <laughs> kind of you, sir. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I think the first but that's thing only an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first thing that um, that we have to do is we we have to be prepared to be wide ranging in where we search for information. So that if if we if we manage to watch Fox News we should at least try to watch a little MSNBC or a little CNN um, in, in order to get a, a, a picture of the other side. And then we maybe should go back to Newsmax. <clears throat> but I think we need to recognize that at least in this country, 
if there is a centrist news source, um, it probably is three of the networks, or at least two, CBS, well, three, CBS, maybe PBS, and prob- and, and maybe ABC. But that uh, I, I'm not including NBC because of its connection to MSNBC, and I'm not including Fox because of its connection to Fox News. Um, but uh, and, and I could be being I- immensely unfair, but the point that I'm making is that at least for me, I need to go beyond news in this country and generally find myself listening to news from Canada, England, Australia. And when I can find it, and it's harder to find um, information from Russia, China, um, Japan, um, because as far as I'm concerned, only when I've had a chance to digest what purports to be truth from this range of entities am I likely to be able to come close to presuming to believe that I have some sense of, of what reality is. And the same thing applies to newspapers. You know, in, in the United Kingdom, newspapers are very clearly labeled as what they are. In this country, it's a little harder. Um, but, but clearly there is a difference in the political opinion of the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. So, uh, so again, I, I, I think in, in order to get a better notion of what truth is, you read editorials from several different newspaper, different newspapers and magazines, um, uh, and, and, and utilize them to eventually form your notion of what truth is. So before I let you comment, Brian, Larry, any thoughts about that? Well, yes, because the challenge then is how do you motivate people to follow this prescription? I, uh, I have, a, be- have not a clue. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, how many Fox viewers would even consider watching MSNBC. And how many MSNBC viewers would ever consider watching Fox News? Today, today I don't think there's a chance. 20, 30 years ago, there would have been. But I think today, with everything that's gone on and the the emotions that struggles, oh my gosh, no way, no way, not today. Yeah, yeah, Brian. And and, and so then, so then, Paul, the, the... the follow-up to that is, are we not in a really scary spot then to realize that we have these large, I don't know how large, but certainly considerably large numbers of people who are locked into yeah. their particular political view? Or, or, meta- or metaverse <laughs> or social view for that matter yeah. and 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 what responsibility is there to uh how can I say it to um, to encourage social media to become more centrist 
Well, and we we can ask, and and, and I'll let I'll let Brian take over in just a second. But we can ask, at least, wh- whether whether it's right for us to expect media to change, but instead, should we not expect that uh, that that our leaders should moderate and mediate? the information we get so as to ensure that truth happens. And I think it's pretty clear that that isn't going to work either. Go ahead, Brian. Brian. A couple of things here. One is you need to understand how I am living at this moment to understand what I'm about to say. I am a lone male in a household with five adult women in it this week. My nieces, two of them, 29 and 33, are here, along with my wife, our lifetime friend Vicky, and my sister Leslie. When we discuss things in my house, I try to keep them theoretical. I don't say, I think this and this and this and this. I say, um, there's the question of is it truly harder now to buy a home than when I bought my first home 50 years ago? Not 50, 45, 45 years ago. And I, I go through the, the steps in that discussion to try to cause others to think about, like Larry said, the difference between opinion and to the best of our ability, the facts. So I always try to find multiple entities who are saying the facts are and that they agree with the facts are. I'm especially impressed when they come to different conclusions as a result of the facts, because then I know I'm hearing opinion. Uh, So I do that. But you know how many hours a day it would take to educate yourself in this fashion? It would be, well, might as well not work because you don't have the hours to pull that off. The other but thing it does, is, but it does take that many hours in the day. I mean, yeah, and, and it potentially, if you, how many if hours you a want, day do you if, digest the news? Paul? I, I, I'm, I'm going to say a minimum of three. Um, yeah. and, and I would, I would go beyond that and say that, that, Probably two of that three is done at two point five speed. Yeah, yep. Because so. instead of listening to programs when they when they come out, I listen to them as podcasts, which means I can speed them up. <laughs> yes. So when I think of what could the solution to this conundrum be, one aspect is uh, education. You know, I was raised in an era where there was a thing called work ethic, where it wasn't, was I going to get a job? That was never a question. Right. It was a matter of what job I was going to get. Right. It wasn't even a matter of the more money you make, the more valuable you are. It was work had value in and of itself in terms of self 
self-worth in terms of uh, contributing to the greater good when you can so that you can accept help when you need it uh, without feeling guilty about that. So there's those kinds of ethics that we need to teach from the earliest age, from the absolute earliest age. And it should permeate all of our teaching opportunities. I got a liberal arts degree. How about you, Paul? Uh, um, British degrees aren't as quite as liberal arts as American degrees are. Um, but I got the closest I could because my degree was in history. Um, right. So, it, and and that meant the past of everything, including science and and um, social you. science, blah blah. But the the value always stated by those who believe in the in it, I guess, is it's there not are fewer who do these that days. I measure yeah. this. It's that I was right. taught a process by which to figure things out, right? Whatever they might be. And again, as we become a more technological universe, more and more people are having to get training in extremely specific areas uh, to move ahead. Right. So I, th- I think the, the answer to our problem, we didn't get here over a course of a very few years. This is probably more than 50 years in the making of the conundrum we currently find ourselves in. We have gone from a country that is primarily middle class, working family, with a single breadwinner, allowing the other parent to parent children, that um, all children had the opportunity to go to school uh, and were expected to. Not just the opportunity, but the obligation to do so. Uh, now, were every school system the same? No, I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything like that. But just general principle. And that parents taught core values. Now, core da- values doesn't mean I believe in gun control. That's not a core value. That is an opinion that I happen to, to have. But it's not a core value. Core value is the idea of um, being kind to others. Do no harm. Yeah, yeah. and maybe maybe that's, that's a core a, value. Maybe that's another whole topic for Tuesday Topics is what are our yeah. core values. Yeah, so but, core uh, values have to be taught, lifetime taught. Uh, and having good core values has to be admired by others. And and I think it, it was certainly argued by our generation. I'm I'm actually taking you back to where you were. Mm-hmm. That that the core values that our society believes in uh, can be learned uh, by getting a liberal arts education because the core values are contained in the, the works of art and the history of the entity we study. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I, I have to admit that I think of myself as a work in progress. 
And I hope I still feel that way uh, with my last breath. Yeah. Uh, things just change too much and more and more rapidly as time goes forward. Uh, and I don't want to look for information that supports my opinion, but rather collect information to before forming that opinion and let it be informed by the facts I've collected on a given subject. Knowing I'm not doing this like right. a, a, a college course, it's done over time, et cetera, et cetera. So, Larry, you know, how are we going to change attitudes of the general public so they can decide themselves what is truth uh, is education? Uh, and it has to be a, a societal education. One of the things well, that I, I used as an analogy lately is if you have a Rottweiler uh, owned by your neighbor, and that Rottweiler is the sweetest, most wonderful dog you ever saw, just a delight. And his neighbor has a Rottweiler. And like the first one, just the sweetest dog you could ever ask for. And his neighbor has a Rottweiler, just the same as the other two. Would you put your child in the yard with three Rottweilers? Um, the society gets dumber the more we get the mob mentality. We make better individual decisions in many cases than we do so, collective decisions. So there. So when it comes to changing society as a whole, that's a hard, hard thing to do. There is a movement that is currently gaining traction in post-secondary education that says that liberal arts education has outlived its usefulness, and if we're going to be competitive in in a cutthroat world, uh, we must force kids at the beginning of the post-secondary career to get rid of these wishy-washy things like English literature and history and specialize in specific jobs that will directly relate to the kind of employment that they're going to seek after they finish their post-secondary education. And that unless we do this, we're going to fall further and further behind in the world and are going to be left behind quoting iambic pentameter. You know, Paul, I was very pleased to hear a paraphrase of the comments from the judge regarding the uh, trial that didn't happen when he said the First Amendment is the right to speak, but it is not the right to deliberately lie. Yeah. And, and I thought that was a monumental statement. And I think the same interpretation needs to be made with regard to free press and the, the journalistic philosophy. You know, if you go back to the days of Edward R. Murrow and so forth, they were newscasters. They were not opinion molders. They were not propagandists. And I think that we need to return to that period 
where the people who are imparting information, whether it be through the social media or the internet or on our networks, need to reevaluate what their responsibility is. Yeah. I know that there are some pretty, or there used to be some pretty strong guide rules for radio and TV stations to follow with regard to what could be said and could not be said. Well, an equal it's time. Gotten, it's gotten yeah. liberalized to the point where anything goes. But you know, uh, but reality. You, but but Larry, you would. You wouldn't say, though, in, in these good old days that you're pointing at, that propaganda didn't happen, would you? Yes, it did. But we knew when it was propaganda because it was portrayed that when you go to the movies and they had, what was it called, the March of Times? And, <laughs> and you had the the war propaganda talking yeah. about what our troops were doing. You knew that was propaganda. But when the newscast came on, you knew that that was information and it wasn't tainted with with opinion or with propaganda, at least to the for the most part. And, and was that and, and was that because it was being delivered privately and not by government? I, I think it was because the way that journalists were raised and educated to respect the fact that they should be telling as far as they could, the truth. Yeah. And and I think, of course, that's where the danger comes in. How do you interpret truth or reality? You know, if you have a, a car accident and you have three witnesses and you interview those three witnesses, you may get three different versions of what really happened. And so, those are alternative truths. 50% of the people in this country, according to some polls, Mr. Johnson, believe that the 2020 election was bogus, that uh, it was stolen, and that immense crimes were committed and have just not been found. Half of our population appear to believe that. Uh, how, how do you square that with with notions of, of truth. Let me give you uh, another historic event. And I, I referred to this in a recent video that I just did. It was called the spaghetti hoax. And it happened in England and the BBC did this on an April fool's day. And they talked about the spaghetti tree and the fact that there, there was a shortage of spaghetti trees and they, they actually had some video showing a tree with hanging <laughs> spaghetti in some place in Switzerland. They Thank had God. hundreds Thank God the and macaroni hundreds trees were okay. <laughs> 1957. And they had calls from hundreds and hundreds of their viewers <clears throat> who wanted to know the correct way to plant and raise a spaghetti tree. And so it was... Uh, it was a joke, but it it was believed, of course, by many, many citizens. The same was true, of course, with Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Sure. So why did so many people believe this lie? Because you had Fox News and others 
propagating it. And if you say something long enough and loud enough, and you are some to some degree a, a credible source of information, a certain number of people will believe you. So it is, is that a function of bad education? Yes, it is. And it's also a function of inappropriate use of power by the media. Yeah. I'll leave one you with thing that people go ahead, Larry. I'll, I'll just leave this. you with I'll leave you with one quote that I love from Mark Twain, who said that a lie will travel halfway around the world before truth has a chance to put on its pants. Yeah. I think there's a lot of truth in that, Mr. Brian. I just wanted to say that that again, in order to have access to truth or the information necessary to determine for yourself what truth is on a given topic, you are very reliant on the media for that. Now, how many corporations own 90% of the media in this world? Three. Five companies. Because while you see NBC and CBS and ABC and the like, they are owned by other corporations that are owned by other corporations. And when you consolidate all of that, this is where you get back into that 1% business. 1% of our population in the United States manage around 65% of media whether that media is television radio newspaper magazine websites whatever it might be one percent so what part of things are they going to report are they going to report how corporate uh ceos have if they get Fired from their job, they get to take with them three hundred million dollars as, as part of that. You don't see those stories anywhere near as often mm-hmm. as you hear things that are a bit sensationalized, to say the least. But also, I wanted to say that part of it is not just what information we hear that's not true, but what information we're not being told in the first place. It's what's omitted sure. that tells a huge part of the story. Now, I, I get all of that, but but I'm I'm going to I'm going to ask everybody who is currently open to the mic to tell me what, if anything, we can do about the current state of disinformation, which is the world we live in now. I think we've got to have conversations like this, and I think we've got to become activist advocates for change. We can't can't just be complacent and say, oh, this is the way it is. Poor me. Yeah. Uh, Yes. And and maybe absolutely 1,000% agree with that. And 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 maybe we need to start a third political party. We can't. Yeah. In the blindness system, Part of our problem with the problems we have 
is who do we complain to? Mm-hmm. One yeah. another. That's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And that really goes nowhere. I, I th- the problem is we used to be able to agree to disagree years ago, even if we didn't agree with the point of view. And we need to make some sort, I don't know how you do this either, to make some sort of changes so that at least you, people who are on opposite sides will be willing to listen to each other so that change can evolve and take place. And since everyone in essence is steeped in what they believe in is their opinion, they are correct, nobody else is, you've got to be able to at least examine all points of view and move towards the center to some degree. And that isn't happening. It certainly appears now yeah. that that we we are there. There is no space in the center, or or that's certainly the way it appears. Um, Marianne, Rick, any any thoughts? I I uh, entirely agree with not just a third party, but a third and a fourth party. Yeah, yeah. I think I I, I think that that. Um, that I guess the other question that, that we haven't talked about tonight, and I'm not even sure I want to open this particular box, but I'll mention it, and then you guys can decide if we should ignore it tonight. I think the other the other component that is really frightening about where we are at the moment is that uh, we we managed as a country to avoid until four or five years ago. Uh, politicizing the third component of our government, which is our court system. Um, certainly there were, there were appointments to the Supreme Court that were partisan in the past, and there's no question about that. But when presidents attempted to seriously undermine the court or to even suggest that they were going to do that, um, the American people stood up, and this is, was particularly noticeable during the Roosevelt era, where Roosevelt claimed that he was going to appoint a whole bunch more Supreme Court justices and stack the court in his favor. Um, and, and, and it became very clear that the American public simply wouldn't stand for it. But the American public stood by and allowed the court to be politicized to the point where I certainly have questions, and I don't know if other people do, as to whether we any longer have a court that will seriously consider using law unalloyed with politics as their primary approach to making decisions. And if they won't, then I don't know how a government that has been built on the notion that we can balance the three branches allowing some power to each of them will continue to survive and be effective. I think the three branches of our government are entirely out of balance currently. Yeah. And I think yep. the court is a, if, is the perfect example of that. Yep. I think it's a Pandora's box though. So Mr. Brian, we have a question. Mm-hmm. We can continue yeah. discussing truth tonight and put off discussing blind truth, or we can go on and start talking about blind truth now. What's the hour? Um, it is uh, 8.19. 19. 
I think we'd be giving short shrift to the blindness question if we do that and then say we're done. All right. So, uh, so do we I have? Think that we should finish this yep. and give up, give on the, the next show its entirety to this other question. Not yet. We answered. shall. We shall. So, Miss Marianne, do we have hands? We do not. Ah. Uh-huh. So I'm going That's... to throw out a question to our listening audience on on this, though. Okay. So. Again, my two nieces here believe that their generation is having to carry on its shoulders all the mistakes that we set loose in our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, then can that, you enumerate some of those, Brian? Sure. Uh, that we created the environmental disaster that we're currently working our way through. Number one. Mm-hmm. That's always number one. Number two is the inequity of uh, dollars and cents, the haves and the have-nots. The rich and the There's poor. The rich and the poor, right? Mm-hmm. So that there two. is no longer anything that even resembles a middle class. Uh, and, and, and so that the likelihood to, to take one of the one of the shining examples you said uh, earlier in this program that our generation had this notion that they were going to eventually get a house of their own. Um, this, this generation perceives that that for the most part is beyond them. Yes, that's absolutely that, a, a significant component of it. What yeah, I find num- interesting is did you blame the prior generation for things you were going through? No. No. Didn't. That's a huge flip in my uh, feelings about things. And I can't say that that is, um, it's just, you know, it's a cyclical. What is that? That wonderful, I think it was a Greek poem about young people uh, and the like. The Desirata? No, no. The Desirata, I think. Desiderata? Something like that, yeah. Anyway, so, you know, I acknowledge that when I was young, I had certain beliefs that were as a result of my upbringing, one of which it was a laudable goal to get a house of your own. Right. They didn't talk much about the fact that you didn't own it for 30 years. Just that you should get into that right. thought process to do that. And I question whether or not uh, this current generation of my nieces um, is it re-examining those kinds of desires. And I, I was, it, yeah, go ahead. I, I, was, um, I was ashamed when I got married that I had to rent a house for the first couple of years because I couldn't afford to buy a house. And, and, yeah. and even, even when I moved up here to Jacksonville and ended up rent, renting an apartment, it was pretty clear to me that as soon as I could, if I was going to stay up here, I was going to get a house. Um, but you, you haven't mentioned what, what I think may be the, the, the biggest uh, disconnect between the generations and one that's very much in the news now. 
and that is this whole question of uh, Social Security and uh, the National Oh, Bank. yes. A, a very strong belief by my nieces that while they're paying into Social Security with every check, right, they will never see the day that they can collect on that. Right. They will never see a day. They will not, they are not, they firmly believe they're not in a position to save for retirement. Right. And sh they also don't believe they should be asked to, uh, how to put it, sacrifice yep. to do that. They just are not into, well, instead of going out to dinner twice this week, I'm going to go out to dinner once every other week so that I can take that money and put it in my savings account. It's amazing but to me that people who bring in $100,000 a year in their paycheck in this country are not saving. Right. I have a force totally where there's yeah. a disconnect. Brian, I'm sorry, Marianne. Go ahead. I have a, a, a voting. Um, maybe more young people are voting now, but I remember never giving it consideration. I was 18 years old. I could vote. I was going to vote. But I think that um, young people are disillusioned by the Electoral College. They don't necessarily feel that their vote is counting. And I think that's another way in which the younger generation um, is, is disconnected from the processes. Yeah, I'd like to believe that that isn't so much the case. Um, I, I know. Um, I talk to my daughters, and I, yeah. I just think there are some people who uh, who oh, I yeah. say well, I just yeah. don't feel like it's fair. I well, I, so, I I happen to agree with them about the electoral college, but setting that aside, this idea that it is not a societal imperative to vote. We've talked about we've we've talked about that side of young people there's there, there is another side that that i find e equally hard to fathom i suppose and 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 it's probably an indication of how far gone i am in the system but i think that a lot of young people perhaps see things in more black and white terms than we ever did um and I, I think this this very much uh, this very much means that they will respond in ways that we never would. To, to take a couple of examples, um, most of us, when we worked, recognized that there were going to be elements of our job that we didn't love, and that that we nevertheless were going to stay there because we wanted to have the job and because. We needed the money in order to enable our families to live. Um, we did our best to make those jobs as good as we could make them. But no matter how hard we worked at that, the fact is there were parts of our jobs that we didn't love. Um, I think that, that this current generation is much more apt if they, if they don't like something that's going on with an employer to simply turn their back and walk away. Agreed. With, um, yes, without with, a question. Without a yeah. question. With the they with the expectation the that they're going to get ahead, yeah, is by changing jobs. Yes, not just whether or not they like it, but there's yep. no path up within where they're working, right. right, to earn more money. 
every time my nieces had changed jobs and they do it about every other year, they make more money at the next job Yep. because the previous employer is not interested in raising uh, their wages because they respect the amount of time and effort they put into their job. And part of that, Brian, is because employers have changed. Uh, they see their employees as expendable commodities mm -hmm. that they can yes. change out anytime they need. You know, it uh, used to be you hire on with General Motors or AT&T, and it was your job for life, not just because of your own loyalty, but because of the company's loyalty back to you. And so the company took care of you, and you showed your gratitude by being loyal. But there's one other element, I think, that has also changed, and I think it's the Horatio Alger myth. I, I think that many, many of young people no longer believe in the myth that you can be whatever you want to be, well, you can set your dream as high as you want. Oh, there are some who still do. But, but we wouldn't we wouldn't say it's a myth though, would we, Larry? We wouldn't Pardon? say it's a myth, would we? We wouldn't say it's a myth. No, absolutely not. And and I, I think that's what drove us to achieve yeah. what we did. But I don't think I don't think it's we give lip service to it, you know, and I still teach it. But I don't yeah. think that the majority of young people believe it. And it's because of some of the other things that you have, that Brian previously mentioned or you did about the the inequality, the income inequality, and, and some of these other things that we, that it's now a realization that no matter how hard you may work, you may still not fulfill your dream. Yeah. At the same time, I, I, at the same I, time I as we're saying all these things, and I'll I'll, I'll shut up in just a second, Brian. The the new entrepreneurs, the the the, the folks who are making it, um, big time, uh, in in whatever field we're talking about, are under thirty. However, it is a bit of a false economy. Uh, well, millionaires I, or billionaires, why? Well, you tell me, but 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 they are, and it's yeah, not well, it's it's not the guys are. Bezos it's, bought it's, that too. Yeah, and what happened? His his net worth was based on his stock portfolio. Sure, with a big chunk of the stock portfolio in his own company. Yeah, and when uh, that failed, uh, you know, other things happened. I, I want to be clear that uh, I understand why my nieces feel the way they do. You look around, they can't afford to buy a house. You look around, they can't see themselves going into such enormous debt yeah. to get a higher education. They cannot see themselves as being better off than their parents were. Those three things alone. And I'll, I'll add another one to it. They see corporate America as uh, evil. Absolutely. Not just 
not for me. I won't work with the car or, you know, work in corporate America. No, they believe them to be intentionally greedy, intentionally evil, only interested in benefiting the few, but you not interested at all in the good of the whole. Would you go as, as far as to suggest that, that we could, we could go beyond uh, corporate America and say authority? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, we're, we're more and more living in a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Autocracy. The elite control our finances yeah. indirectly. They control our educational system. They control our political system. One of the worst things that happened is when the Supreme Court allowed the creation of PACs. Yeah. Absolutely destroyed our way of, of living. Yeah, we do have a hand up. I think we should recognize that phone yeah, number. I believe it's Peter. We have reverted back to the early 20th century when you had the robber barons who were yes. basically in charge of the economy. And like him or not, uh, FDR made a big, big dent in creating a different kind of capitalistic climate, which became known as social capitalism, where corporations and uh, and the robber barons suddenly became socially responsible and started building hospitals and universities, et cetera, et cetera. But in the, the mid-1980s, thereabouts, and I don't mean to point fingers, but during the <laughs> Reagan administration is when the shift began to happen of social yes. capitalism switched to profit-driven capitalism. And, and, I, and I saw the transition in the very company that I worked for in the very early years. Right. We were very, very community conscious. But in the later years, uh-uh. Interesting. Is um, unmuted. Hello. Hello. Hi, this is Peter in Wisconsin. Hey, Peter. Um, that I mean, I I'm finding uh, I'm finding that that we're I mean we're talking with really broad broad brushstrokes here. Um, you know, as we as we consider the availability of news media today, um, that the difference is primarily in the number of sources that we have available to us. I mean, if you look at at uh, historically uh, historic uh, Hearst newspapers or H.L. Mencken and uh, the reporting that they did um, in in the at the turn of the century, even the way that that um, we were uh, we reported what was going on in Germany in the early parts of World War II and the uh, policies of not reporting what was happening to the Jews intentionally. Um, well, it was worse I'm, in, I'm world, sure. in World War One. Pardon? It was worse in World War One. Well, yes, it was. Uh, that, but that, 
the 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 um, uh, you know I'm not sure that there was a time when when reporting was uh, and knowing the truth was was right. any easier than it is now. So um, the, there was no lily white journalism age, is what you're saying, Mr. Peter? Well, there, there's there's a reason that they called it yellow journalism. So yeah, <laughs> um, that. Um, uh, I that one of the TV shows that that was on um, I may, may have been the Ed Asner show or some, one of those shows. Mary, Mary, Mary Tyler Moore, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was it was harder than that, but it talked about the production of a newspaper and yep. Yep. and how it it landed on the step and then ended up in the bottom of the bird cage. Um, yeah. <laughs> that. Um, you know that that that's that was an, a comment on the news all by itself, um, but that you know reliability of news sources um, is has always been suspect, and and so that uh, the the um, the reliability of the information that you have um, depends on. Uh, not more than more than the conversation with others that it it requires deep investigation on, at a personal level and then um a willingness to confront uh the information when you know it's wrong um you know look at look at uh, the reporting of uh Custer's last stand um and the reporting of um well, that it's hard to hard for me to think of any major historical event without seeing the bias in the news reporting, and uh, and so so help, you know, help our we, folks understand what you're really saying about Custer's Last Stand. Well, I mean, Custer's Last Stand looked like this this uh, that Custer was this this amazing person that was tactician and that the evil evil Native Americans got up and they, they slaughtered him, you know, that nobody, it was years before anybody looked at how he had overridden his supply train, that he exceeded the uh, the mandate of his, of his orders, that he led his people in uh, to a, a battle that was based on a previous, previous battle where he had gained all kinds of of um, glory, and he was trying right. to repeat something, and he'd underestimated the number of of Indians that were out there. Yeah, he um, was also he was also exhausted because he'd been riding for an immense amount of time. Would have been much stronger if he waited the next day. Would probably yeah, have yeah. have I mean, done better if he hadn't fought from within the center of a canyon. <laughs> now down, down, Mister Mister Historian. Uh, <laughs> so when it comes to the media. I've gotten more, gotten, I hate that word. I have become more and more willing only to believe original source material. I, when the uh, State of the Union address is done and he says, God bless America, that's when I turn off the TV. Me I do too. not want to hear somebody else's opinion of what I should think of what I just heard. Me either. I'm interested in me and how I react to that original source 
information. So I go back and back, and that's where it takes real time and energy to be careful of how you've been molded into this person who sees things in a particular way. Uh, and, and even even at that, though, Brian, you, you need to fact check all that stuff going back. That, that oh, absolutely. Not just how you experience it, but that what your willingness to go and say, you know, where did that come from? What was the source that he that he uh, cited? Reference. Sure. Um, nowadays, nowadays, yeah. the news media is doing a better job of fact checking uh, President Biden, but it it used to be uh, um, it used to be virtually impossible that a State of the Union address given by President Trump wouldn't, in, wouldn't have included 30 or 40 or 50 falsehoods, according to the media. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I, and I'm not, and I'm not sure that I, they're equitably dividing those falsehoods now for, for Biden. No. I, I also think, though, that when we... Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Peter, that there wasn't a golden age of reporting. There were those I feel felt and continue to feel reported what they reported rather than reporting as a matter of so they reported. They I could reported tell what the they, they reported what or or they purported to report what they saw. Yes, as opposed well, to telling me the significance of what I was seeing and telling me what they think I should glean from what I just saw. So the real question... The the real question is, if we accept that, are are we really talking about quantum change based on simply um, some of the elements that are different in terms of the way that we receive what we get now. So that, for instance, um, there, there were never or typically not more than one or two newspapers, in, even in pretty large cities. The, the television news was, com- was competing with each other for news um, at the same time of the day. And so they, they had to be sure that all of them covered each of the stories, which didn't allow them very much time to editorialize as much as they might otherwise have. And there were only three channels mostly to do that. Correct. So perhaps one of the changes that most altered the price of cheese was the transition from uh, a time when that was how we were getting our news to to the time when two other things happened first twenty four hour cable news mm-hmm. and then competitive twenty four hour cable news and second uh the internet mm-hmm. uh where where news was perfectly skewed and directed um by search engines so that the people who were using the internet got the news they wanted rather than the news. And they got it quickly. They got it quickly, and they didn't even know it was happening to them. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. That the more they looked at a particular point of view, the more they were going to be presented with content that pushed that particular point of view. Uh, you know, used to be, if you sat down in front of the television to watch the evening news, you were going to see and experience things you agreed with and things you disagreed with. Now you can choose which channel and only see things you agree with. So uh, it used to be when, when, when the internet uh-huh. first started that I used to listen to all three network newses and, and every day and, mm-hmm. and would, would typically remark on just how, how much the same they were. There was a little difference, but for the most part, they were the same. Yeah, so they, they usually carried Peter. each of them carried a, a unique story, and then everything Correct. else is the same. Yep. So here's the we have 15 minutes or so to try to decide among us um, what we'd recommend to people to do about uh, our 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 truthless, if you like, society, which is which is really almost what I think we're dealing with now. One, um, I'm not sure the value of the word truth as a way to hang things on. I I feel the same way about the word fair. Who in the hell invented that word? Well, (laughs) and all the things that come along with it. It is such a wrong word. Factless wouldn't be accurate. What do you want to use, Brian? No, I, I, I'm simply saying, yeah, are, are we tilting at windmills when we attempt to establish a way to tell truth from fiction? I'm going to go back to the uh, well, how whole about issue of AI. How about information from disinformation, Brian? Yeah, well, that, that's part of it, but it's... You know, it used to be seen is believing. You can't God knows that that's anymore. not the case yeah. anymore. Not yeah, the I, case. I, and I going mean, to get worse I before it gets better. I think Larry, John, Larry Johnson has has uh, was was talking uh, about something that I we haven't really talked about thus far. But um, what the 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 meta narrative or the myth that we that we want to believe in and how are we going to, um, how are we going to, uh, propagate that? Um, not using myth as, as a falsehood, but, uh, you know, in the classic sense of, of the, the life story that, so that the, the, we think needs to be happened. That, that's, so so the, the version of reality that we believe is the good old American way. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that was what Manifest Destiny was about and everything was then was then reported through the lens of Manifest Destiny when we got rid of that. Um that uh you know the the uh early square deal, early new deal century was, yeah. was eugenics and and you know, the the narrative that we use for for justifying that. Um it, it's that that the truth that we want to that we want to hang on to or that that people want to hang on to i'm not sure that we is the right word there um it, it depends on on the 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 meta narrative or the myth that they 
uh, that they endorse. But are, are, are we saying then, because this is sort of what I'm hearing everybody on this call saying, that, that, that essentially we need to be responsible for ourselves and that there's not a damn thing we can do about, about the state of the game at, at, the, at, at, at the national level in terms of the spread of mis- and disinformation? Is that what we're saying? Uh, well, I mean, isn't that Candide's uh, conclusion that Voltaire uses in Candide? Sure, to yeah, a degree, but that garden and the hell with everybody else. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't mean we have to accept it, though. Well, no, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm I'm just saying that you know it's it's yeah. uh, I I think that's that's the desperate conclusion. Yeah. Um, when you try and deal with the immensity of what's out there, is that you you get get to that point of saying? So is is that where we are, Brian? Uh, I, I'm kind of of the opinion, notice I used the word opinion, uh, I, that I attempt to be the best person I can be. I do not succeed. I think I make progress rather than reaching perfection, but generally speaking, that's what I work on. There is not a single thing, of uh, opinion of mine, that I'm not willing to change based on new credible evidence i went from uh, believing absolutely not in gun control and now i do believe in gun control i used to believe uh i was pro-life i am now a woman's a woman's uh, control of her own body so i've changed some pretty major opinions over the course of my lifetime, and I expect to change mine again, because opinion is based on a combination of what you think you know and the opinions you build around what you think you know. And part of that is life experience. My nieces but are experiencing you... life differently, and I expect that to change her idea, their ideas of truth and their idea of what is. They use the word fair and right a lot. Do you believe that what you're describing in terms of yourself is an opinion or a belief system? The answer is yes. <laughs> it's, it is not at all easy to separate opinion from fact, is it? Um, I, I, I think, though, that, that, that an opinion is a pretty frail piece of lumber. Whereas, whereas a belief system it expresses a degree of uh, conviction. A, a, of yeah, conviction. It's, it's a whole. Yes. I, I want to caution you to avoid a couple of words when making statements about policies, about people, about uh, doctrines, about beliefs. And those words are all. And never. Yes. And I think if we can learn to avoid the all blind people are such and such and such, or blind people never, blah, 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 or any other group. You know you have to be here next week, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. those, are, those are two words that get us in the most amount of trouble. When yeah, we express an opinion. Never. 
always and never. Right. And that's why our that's why our political parties are so polarized because it's either always one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. The, the middle is where we belong, and it's but where we're not. Mr. Johnson, as a as a person who writes what amount of blogs uh, <laughs> virtually every week, every uh, are you are you content? Um, are you content to throw your hands up in the air and say there's not a damn thing we can do? No, I, I said earlier, I think there is a damn thing that we should do. And maybe we can't, you know, have a national platform. But in our corner of the world, wherever that is, and each of us has a, a larger or a smaller corner of the world, we have not only the opportunity, but the obligation and responsibility to raise our voices. Citizenship. But that has to do with focus, I, I think, Larry, that, that um, you know, if you try and, try and address everything, then you, you find that place of not being able to say anything. Um, and so it's that uh, the level of focus that you have on, on particular issues that allows you to be able to move forward. And, and Brian, I would say that that's what allows you to make a difference is the focus, not trying to do it all but trying to do something. Yeah, don't be wishy-washy, don't be timid, don't be reluctant to express your opinion. It's your opinion, and it apparently or hopefully you have thought about it before you came to that opinion or that conviction or that belief, and, and it, it's valid, so you should express it. Do you believe that... Um... How do I describe this? One of the things that I struggle with in general is um, the difference between everybody has a right to opinion and that everybody's opinion is of equal value. Not to me, it isn't. <laughs> I do not believe that every opinion is equally has valid. Equal value. Certainly not. And, and, and I, think, I think that's how we, quote, formulate our own opinions, because we, we value some people's opinions more than others. And that's perfectly okay. Uh, I think it's, it's okay for people to have different opinions, to take different actions, as long as they don't, number one, step on my toe or force me to say things that I don't believe that are true. So, uh, you know, you have a right to your, to your opinion, but not to your facts. I fully agree with you. Fully agree with you. Well, this is a very interesting philosophical discussion on Tuesday topic. It is probably the most philosophical that we've had on the program up to this point. Uh, and it's kind of universal. It's not just blindness, although there's no question, and next week we'll talk more about it, that there's a blindness angle, if you will, Big to, time. to some of this. Um, when we choose topics for Tuesday topics, uh, we leave poor Paul hanging out there, uh, not having determined things. So this week he can relax a little bit and just modify this week's announcement for next week shorten it just 
just the mic by what we discussed this evening. I love this kind of conversation. It is real to me, but it's also, um, I, I set myself apart from it a little bit in order to be able to uh, understand contrary opinions. I think my discomfort uh, with, with the discussion that we've had tonight is, is the degree to which we have arrived at a stage where it seems to me at any case, in any case, with, with all due respect to Larry, and I, and I, and I value um, what Larry has brought to this discussion a lot, but I, I think that we are all relatively at a place where we don't see ourselves as being actors in a real sense in terms of making the kind of change that we believe has to exist. I do believe that Larry is correct and that every single person listening to this program has an obligation to recognize that if you have an opinion, you have an obligation to share it and you have an obligation to attempt to ensure that by sharing it, it has some value and some effect on what's going on in the world. I, I absolutely and categorically believe that part of the reason that we have gotten to the place where we are, where information and misinformation is concerned, is because our population has essentially been reticent about standing up and being counted when they know misinformation is out there and when they are aware that it is being sold to them as a bill of goods that they know damn well aren't true. And I think that one of the things that we need to do as a society is to recognize that if we're content to have our society go to hell in a handbasket, that's a choice that we're making. Uh, I, I would add to that, Paul, that, Peter. that not only do we have the, the, the need to share our opinion, but that with that sharing of the opinion, we have an obligation to listen. Yes, I think yes. that's correct. I, I would agree with that. Um, Marianne, Larry, Rick, you guys, any of you three want, want a final thought? Uh, I, no. I like what Peter just said because yeah. it's got to be two-way. It can't be just one. And, and I like where that, that form of argument is going. I just hope that yeah. we can achieve it. Next week, we're going to particularize this topic. We're going to ask, are we being told the truth about blindness? Who's telling us the truth? What's the difference between the NFB and the ACB truth and the AFB truth? Um, how can we determine, as people who are blind, uh, what's appropriate and what's real in terms of services if the only picture, for the most part, that we're getting uh, are those pictures that are being provided by people who have access to grind in terms of the information they provide to us? How should we fix it? How can we make it better? Or am I making mountains out of molehills? We hope that lots of you will join us next week to apply the notion of truth, opinion, and reality, specifically to the kinds of services and lifestyles that are a part of who we are every day, forever and ever. 
thank you to all of the folks who participated. Um, Mr. Johnson and uh, Peter, we hope you guys will both be here next week. You've carried the ball half of the field. You have an obligation to carry it for the other half of the field. So we look forward to having you with us next time as well. And on behalf of all of us who you shared the last two hours with, good night. <laughs>